Welcome. Welcome back. Welcome home. This is Tracy, and we want to thank you for being a part of the Life Together podcast. Before we get into this week's teaching, we want you to know that you matter to God and you matter to us. Life Together is a Wednesday evening gathering for worship, Bible study, and community here at Oak Creek Assembly of God in Oak Creek, Wisconsin. I want you to think about your brother or someone in your life who's like a brother to you and just kind of get that person in your mind. And I want to ask you this second really important question, which is what would it take for your brother to convince you that they were the son of God? I mean, you can fool people of a lot of things from a distance. Like I can be in a room with an amazing singer and not be aware that they're lip syncing and faking it. You know, I can be in the room with a, with a great speaker and not be aware that they've plagiarized their speech. But it's much more difficult to fool me from up close. And it's much more difficult to fool me with people that I know really well. And for most people, family or the friendships that you've had for a long time, the people who knew you when you were a snotty-nosed kid, they know the truth. And it's really hard to fool those people. When Jesus is living in Israel, he is going from town to town telling people, I am the Son of God. And thousands and thousands of people believe him. They believe him quickly. They see the miracles. They hear the teaching, and almost instantly they believe him. Jesus did not have this experience with his brothers, and specifically in this new series, we're going to talk about one of his brothers whose name was James. There are many James in the Bible. Do you say Jameses? There's many Jameses in the Bible. It was a very common name then as it is now. Fun fact, uh, Jamie Herbst, who leads worship here, his real name is actually James, and he would like you to call him that. So go ahead and just switch that habit. Is he not here right now? Yeah, so he definitely deserves that. So just, just start calling him James and just emphasize the S, so it's James, like that. So there's several James in the Bible. There's two James that were disciples but neither one of those men are the men who wrote the book of James. The book of James is written by Jesus' brother, James, which is funny to think about because you don't hear a whole lot about Jesus' family in the Bible. But when Jesus was born, his mom, Mary, and Joseph were engaged. They weren't married yet. But after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, Joseph and Mary were married. And so they had a whole family. And so Jesus has these half-siblings that he has, and they're following around him, and it takes them a while to get on board. James, growing up, watching his brother tell people that he was the Son of God, didn't always believe. Mark 3.21 says, when Jesus' family heard what was happening, they tried to take him away. He's out of his mind, they said. Whew, family can be rough. John 7 tells a story of Jesus' brothers trying to coerce him out of town. They say, we got to get Jesus out of town. And why? John 7, 5 says, for even his brothers didn't believe him. For a long time, James didn't believe. I think if I'm someone in the room tonight who's doubting, I say, welcome to the table. That Jesus' own brother struggled to accept that Jesus was the Son of God. Most Bible scholars believe that James didn't come to faith in Christ until after Jesus' resurrection. 
So he sees the miracles, he sees the crowds, he hears the teaching, he watches his brother die on a cross, and he's still unsure, because after all, the Messiah couldn't possibly be my brother, right? 1 Corinthians 15, 4-7 says this, Jesus was buried, he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said, he was seen by Peter and then by the 12, after that he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died, then he was seen by James. Out of all the people that Jesus appeared to after his resurrection, there's this one verse in the book of Corinthians that make sure that we know that Jesus also went to go see his brother, James. James turns into a cornerstone of the newly formed Christian church. James becomes a pastor and a missionary. And his book in the New Testament is only five chapters. If you sat down to read the whole thing, you could do it in about 15 minutes. But his book is power-packed. This book of James is filled with instructions for practical faith. How do we live our faith out. Some people have nicknamed the book of James the Proverbs of the New Testament because it is filled with practical wisdom. Not just what do you believe, but how do I live what I believe out. In this series, we're going to talk about uh, judgment and mercy. We're going to talk about faith and works. James often talks in dichotomies, meaning he's looking at two sides. He's looking at both sides of the coin. And so we need to get started with week one. And week one, we're going to look at trials and temptations as we move into James chapter one together. Let's do that now. So James chapter one, verse two says this. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. See, you were concerned we were going to talk about trials and temptations tonight, and you missed it because we're actually going to talk about an opportunity for joy. This feels like a trick that mom would pull in like a long car ride, where it'd be like, <laughs> where it'd be, mom, I'm bored. It's an opportunity for creativity. Mom, I hate my sister. It's an opportunity to grow in love. Well, God has given each one of us in trials and in temptation an opportunity to grow in love. God promises that when we experience troubles of which kind, any kind, it is an opportunity for great joy. I don't want trouble, but I do want joy. There's not a person in this room that would not turn down an extra dose of joy. And if that's something that all of us want in our lives, we do have to ask the second question, what is troubles of any kind? If we want great joy in our lives, what kind of trouble are we getting ourselves into? So the book of James is written in Greek, and the word for troubles is a really interesting word. And so the Greek word that he wrote here for troubles is peresmos, which is a fascinating word because it points to two different kinds of troubles. There are two meanings to the word peresmos, and this is what James is doing. He's going to take us through chapter one, and we're going to look at both sides of the coin. We're going to look at two kinds of of troubles. The first kind of trouble we're going to look at is called trials. And I know this sounds like bad news, but Paresmo speaks of trials in a positive voice because trials come from God. 
If you want an easier word for trials, you could use the word test. And you could say that God tests the ones that he loves. It's the same reason that every teacher in this room has tests in their class. It's the reason that every race is longer than 10 meters. Because we want to see people strive forward as we test our students, as we place obstacles in their path, we watch their strength and their knowledge increase. God tests the ones that he loves. James 1, 3 through 4 says, For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow, so let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. What will trials lead to? Great joy. Are trials always a joy-filled experience? No, they're not, but this is the nature of God. God values character over comfort and holiness over happiness. Because being uncomfortable is worth the price to see God's character develop in your life. Being unhappy is worth the price to see God's holiness develop in your life. The trials are worth it because there is great joy in store for you. 1 Peter 1, 6 through 7 says this, So be truly glad there is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than gold. God says, I love you so much that I'm not going to leave you the way that I found you. I am going to transform your life, your brokenness and dysfunction into health and productivity. And my pathway to your good is trials. So should this make us feel better when our car breaks down on the side of 94? Yes, yes it should. <laughs> God is building you through the trials he has allowed in your life. Yesterday morning, uh, we're getting ready for school. Uh, Tuesdays, Mandy is uh, one of her MPS school sites, and so she leaves early, which leaves this dude to make sure everyone gets everything together. And so Ryder, my second born, comes running up from the laundry room, which is in our basement, and with just the biggest smile on his face, he goes, Dad, there's a mouse in the laundry room. And then there was this like instant where I feel like the spirit of God just whispered in his little ear and he said, wait. And he runs back stairs to the laundry room about 45 seconds go by and he runs back up and he goes, nope, it's not a mouse. It's a chipmunk. <laughs> a chipmunk in your basement is a trial. Parenting is a trial. Marriage is a trial. Job loss and sickness and grief and heartbreak and loneliness and forgetfulness and brokenness is a trial. And God wants your trial to produce great joy. I want to look at James tonight for the first two steps every believer should take when they are facing a trial. James 1.5 says, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. Step one, 
ask God for help. God has allowed trials in your life, and what does he want you to do when you're facing a trial? Come to him and ask him for help. Rely on him. Our God is a God of empathy and compassion. So when you say, God, this whole global pandemic is really wearing on me. God doesn't say toughen up. He says, I will never leave you. Every single one of us is going through a trial today. We need to ask God for help. God, parenting my children has left me frustrated and confused, and I need your wisdom God, my employer is doing a vaccine mandate, and I need wisdom in how to respond. God, my income is not enough to sustain me, and I need your wisdom to help me take the next step. Don't do this on your own. Allow your trial to increase your dependency on God and ask God for help. The second step focuses on our attitude, and we're going to read about it in verse 6 and 7. But when you ask him... Be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Whew. So when you're going through a trial, asking God for help is great, but it's not enough we need to pair it with step two. Step two is do not waver. Be steadfast. Be focused. James says that someone with divided loyalty isn't going to make it. And here's what divided loyalty looks like. Divided loyalty is seeking the rewards of God on the pathways of man. You know, the greatest joy I have in this life outside of knowing Christ is being married to my wife, Mandy. I think you know her. She's awesome and amazing and wonderful. And occasionally something that will happen to me is when I'm spending time maybe in a mentoring relationship with younger men, men that are in their teens or 20s, and they'll, they'll pass on a compliment to me and they'll say, Dan, I, just, I, I really hope that one day I could mar be married to someone like Mandy. And I, I am thankful. For, that's a very nice thing to say. It's a great compliment. But sometimes there is a divided loyalty there because they'll express that, and then about five minutes later, they'll talk about how they picked up this girl at this nightclub, or how they're searching for girls on Tinder, or how they text a girl, hey girl, you up? <laughs> and I just want to be like super clear that 19-year-old Mandy is not in any of those places. <laughs> You can't seek the rewards of God on the pathways of man. That's the divided loyalty that James is talking about. 19-year-old Mandy was a janitor at a Bible college. So if you would like to find a godly man or woman, I would recommend starting there. And all the janitors said, amen. <laughs> but I'm serious about this. If you are someone in this room who is seeking after someone who you want to see them serve God and serve others, go someplace where you find people that are serving God and serving others. And, that's, and that is the path. If you want the rewards of God, walk on a godly path and be focused. Be all in. Don't have a divided loyalty. When you're facing a trial, step one, ask God for help. And step two, do not waver. 
Now, I mentioned that the Greek word paresmos has two meanings, leading us to two types of troubles, one positive and then one negative. Trials are thought of as positive because they come from, they are allowed by God for our good. We didn't say they were fun, but we said they were positive because they are led by God. The second type of trouble is negative because these troubles do not come from God, and we're going to call this type of trouble temptation. James makes this distinction super clear in verse 13 where he says this, and remember, when you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. You see, this is not a trial. This is a different kind of trouble. Temptation does not come from God, which is what makes this kind of trouble different. James goes on to explain in verse 14, temptation comes from our own desires. Where does temptation come from? Our own desires. It doesn't come from the devil. We can blame the evil one for a lot of things, but he gets a free pass here because temptation comes from our own desires. We live in a broken world and our desires are broken. This is why we always should be on guard against the cultural messaging of be yourself and follow your dreams because your dreams can be very, very misleading. I had a dream once that I was playing piano at a resort hotel in Jamaica, and it sounds fun, but it would be a very bad choice for me to quit my job tomorrow. My wife would be very unhappy with that decision. Our dreams and our desires can be misleading. The conversation of look inside yourself to see who you are or what you want is a bad choice. Look to your heavenly father. See who he is. See what he wants. And you're going to find yourself in a much better path. In verse 14 and 15, James walks through the four stages of temptation. And I want us to walk through these together today. And I want to talk about the four stages of temptation. And the first one is desire. This is the first thought. It's when you walk into the mall and you suddenly spell Cinnabons. And you think, my desire tells me that I would like to eat four pounds of cake. It is not, <laughs> I want to remind you, it is not a sin to be tempted. It is not a sin to be tempted. I think many times as Christian men and women, we can carry with us this guilt that we should not be holding. We believe that because we are tempted daily or hourly or minute by minute, that something inside of us is unredeemable and it's not true. Jesus was tempted. He knows what desire feels like. If you imagine that maybe there's some level of Christianity where once you get that good, you'll no longer be experiencing temptation, that is a lie because Jesus was at the top and he still experienced temptation. If, if you are someone who has felt that guilt, I want the Spirit of God to help lift that guilt off of you tonight. It is not a sin to be tempted. What goes wrong with temptation is what happens next. Verse 14, temptation comes for our own desires, which entice us and drag us along. Stage two, we're going to call fantasy. This is where temptation captures our attention and begins to lead us away. What if I drank it? ate it, smoked it, watched it, slept with it? What would that feel like? And what if, I, what if I didn't do it, but what if I just thought about it? What if we just talked about it? What if I just texted about it? And now I've sat down on the bench a 
across from the Cinnabon and I'm just smelling <laughs> and staring. Fantasy is a dangerous location for us to hang out in. The longer I stay here, the more difficult it is for us to get out. There might be something that I did have strength to resist, but the longer I sit and think about it and dream about it and fantasize about it, the weaker my resistance becomes, and ultimately it will take me to stage number three. Stage number three is action. James 1.15 says this, These desires give birth to sinful actions. I'm now giving in. I'm sending the text. I'm getting in my car. I'm logging into my computer. I'm pulling out my wallet to purchase $20 of cinnamon rolls. The action is done. The sin is committed. We live in a world that works so hard to convince us that there are no consequences to sin, and yet the consequences of sin are all around us. Hate leads to violence, infidelity leads to broken relationships, selfishness leads to mistrust and neglect. The consequences of sin are all around us, but all sin eventually leads us to one place, and that place is stage four. James 1.15b says, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Stage four is Death, this is the final arrival point of all temptation. There might be small consequences along the way. This is the stomach ache from eating too many cinnamon rolls. But the end result is death. And it's death of so many things. It is the death of the soul. It is the death of hope. It is the death of love. I don't want to see a single person in this room allow temptation to lead them to death. There is not one person in the room who is above it. Every single one of us is going to experience temptations in our life. But by the grace of God and by his help, he can rescue us and each one of us can find ourselves in places of life. And so what do we do when we experience temptations in our life? We run. The Bible does not say manage your temptations. It does not say it's okay as long as you keep it under control. The Bible says Run. 1 Corinthians 6.18 says, run from sexual sin. 2 Timothy 2.22 says, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. If you feel like you are caught in temptation tonight, I want to challenge you to don't walk out of it. Run out of it. If you need to break up with someone by text right now, just do it. <laughs> It is hard to walk away, and that's what I think the Bible knows that we need to be reminded of, that so many times walking away from temptation is not a possibility because it's very, very challenging. So get some speed behind you and run. It's funny, I, there's uh, two pieces of advice that have always stuck in my head when I think about uh, running from temptation, and they both come from pastors in Birmingham, Alabama. Totally unrelated, but I have two stories about pastors from Birmingham, Alabama. So the first one is an old pastor who pastored a, a church, a Baptist church in Birmingham. And he said, he said, there are three reasons that I have not fallen into sin. 
And he said, because I, it's not because I'm a pastor. He said, being a pastor does not make me more powerful or more spiritual than anyone else. And he said, there's three reasons. He said, the, the first reason is that I, I have a fear of God, is I, I honestly want to please him with the decisions in my life. I want to submit who I am to him. And that fear of God really inspires me to make right choices. He said, the second one is that I have a fear of personal embarrassment. <laughs> I am aware what would happen if sin was to be exposed in my life and how that would ruin my job, my relationships, the way that my wife looks at me, I, I, that, would, that would ruin things, and I have a fear of that. He said, and the third reason I've avoided temptation for all of these years, he said, is because I have a very nosy wife. And <laughs> he said, we have a habit at the end of the day, he said, because I always get in trouble for forgetting, for forgetting to tell my wife things about you know, an upcoming event at the church. And so what we do is when we sit down on the couch, at the end of the night, we swap phones, and I read all of her text messages, and she reads all of mine from the day where she goes, oh, you know, so-and-so's in the hospital, or, or we'll, like, learn things that we forgot to say to each other. Having someone in your life, whether it is a spouse or it is a close friend or it's a parent, who has permission to get up all in your business is a very wise thing. That there is someone who is allowed to ask you any question when you have too much of your life that has closed doors behind it, sin loves the darkness. And when there are places in your life that are exposed to light, good things happen and better choices are made. The other uh, Birmingham pastor is a pastor. His name is Church Hodges. He's the Chuck Hodges. He's the pastor of Church of the Highlands, which is this huge, huge church. And he says, when I am tempted, what I do to practice making right choices, he said, I magnify the consequences of sin that I think about the consequent, like, what would this do if I play this all the way out? If I walked this all the way down this path, what would that do in my life? How am I risking the health and love of my children? How am I risking the health of my job? How am I putting in vulnerability, you know, as a pastor of a church, people would walk away from faith if I, if I lost if, if I sinned, if I had this, and if I magnified those consequences, rather than fantasizing about the sin, start magnifying the consequences of the sin in your mind, and it will encourage you to make really right and righteous choices. I believe that God has a plan for each one of us, that as we face trials and as we face temptations, God wants to see great joy in your life. I want to read the conclusion of the the segment that we're looking at today, and it kind of wraps up in verse 17 and 18 of James chapter 1. It says, whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father, who created all of the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. And we, out of all creation, became his prized possessions. I find great joy in that. The gift is salvation, and the word is Jesus. Is that God has given each one of us a gift, that in our trials and our temptations, he has given us a gift, and the gift was his word, and his word is Christ, that we can have Christ, that he can be in us and working through us. And when we continue to surrender to God, you will see great joy in your life. Let's pray together tonight. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for your word. I pray, God, that we would be transformed by your word. 
not just to hear these words, but allow them to sink into our hearts and transform us. I want to start off tonight by praying for anyone in this room who's facing a trial. And I dare say, we're all facing a trial. We all have something in our life that is pushing up against us, something that is uncomfortable, something that is painful or challenging. And I pray, God, that you would turn all things good, that through this trial, we would grow. I pray that through this trial, we would see you and we would show you to the people that are around us. I pray for everyone in this room who's facing temptation. I pray, Lord, that you would allow your presence to be with us. Let us be a people who are smart when it comes to running from temptation. Allow us to be a people who choose righteous choices and allow us to live in righteous ways. I thank you, God, for this group tonight. I pray that you would continue to give us your wisdom as we go through this book of James together. And we pray, God, that you would allow your light to shine upon all of us. You are the God and of, of the heavenly lights. And we give you praise tonight for all that you are and all that you do. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for being with us for the Life Together podcast. It's even better when we get to see you in person. You are invited to join us on Wednesday evenings here at Oak Creek Assembly of God. We are a church that exists to reach our world for Christ as we lead people to discover and become who God has created them to be. Find us online at oakcreekag.org.